G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. When you're living through it, you're just getting through each day, one day at a time. You're not really seeing the bigger picture. You, you're concentrating on getting through. So initially, we didn't know that Samuel had Down syndrome before he was born, so it was a shock, and we never regretted the fact that we hadn't known. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today our guest is journalist Morag Swartz, who has written a book about her son called Being Sam. She describes it as a memoir of life and death, rascal chromosomes, rogue cancer cells, and a lot of love in between. She's going to unpack just what all of that means during the course of today's conversation. And she'll also share how God helped her in her journey of being a mother to a child with very serious health challenges. Morag Swartz is having a chat with Eric Scadabo. Morag Swartz, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you with us. And yes, we're going to have to start off by unpacking that description of your book with rascal chromosomes and rogue cancer cells. What's that all about? Oh, well, the chromosomes is um, a reference to the fact that Samuel was born with Down syndrome, which is a chromosomal abnormality, number 21, chromosome number 21. And the uh, rascal cancer cells is a reference to the cancer which Sam first was diagnosed with when he was two and that took his life ultimately. Wow. So that's a lot for a parent to have to handle. I mean, Down syndrome is a challenge, of course, all its own, but then cancer on top of that, quite a difficult journey that you and your husband went through. Yes. Although when you're looking back over something, it always looks slightly perhaps worse. When you're living through it, you're just getting through each day, one day at a time, you're not really seeing the bigger picture. You, you're concentrating on getting through. So initially, we, we didn't know that Samuel had Down syndrome before he was born. So it was a shock. And we never regretted the fact that we hadn't known. I mean, a lot of people want to know those sorts of things beforehand. They think they want to prepare. But we, I certainly was grateful that I didn't know. Um, Why is that? I think I would have found it harder to get through the birth, quite honestly. Mm. Um, just getting through the birth was a big deal. And, and, you know, at the end of a birth, a child with Down syndrome is just as beautiful, smells the same, has the same gorgeous smell and the same exquisite things that a newborn baby has. Mm -hmm. And so it's good that that's your first response. Your first response is, here's a beautiful baby, here's a gift from God. So, yeah, I found that a real blessing that it happened that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now let's back up a little bit and find out about your story and your husband. You're both Christian? Yes, we, we were both believers. And that's probably why we didn't go for any of the screening that we might have gone for, which then in 94 was um, available. I was offered an abortion actually the same time as I was told that I was pregnant. Um, I think anyone 38 years old and older was um that was the sort of view of the medical, a lot of doctors anyway. And so we didn't have the further testing that you could have. Um, I think that's probably because 
there was no question that we would have been doing anything other than hanging on to the baby. Mm-hmm. So, And that's because of your Christian faith? Because of our faith, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. So your son Sam was born in 1994? Yes, that's right. And... Um, Number six in the family. So, oh, you're a sixth child. Yeah. So he, it, you know, <laughs> he wasn't the firstborn, which probably also made it a little bit easier. I think you, um, you've got a bit of confidence probably after a few children, and I think it would have been more devastating. I mean, I thought in these terms from the very beginning that always there's something that could be worse. You know, I think it would have been harder for a first-time mother to have a child mm. with a disability. And then very quickly I came to think there are so many worse things that could, you know, you could have a child born with. And also with disabilities or chromosomal abnormalities, the most common one by far is Down syndrome, trisomy 21. And so you, we're already, again, um, I'm seeing it as um, this is, a blessing, you know, it would be much harder to have a, a rare chromosomal abnormality um, and also one that's not so visible. Down syndrome is very visible. And so throughout Samuel's life, I was aware of the advantage of having, a, if you've got a child who's talking to himself loudly in public, it helps if he looks different. <laughs> that oh, alleviates that okay. people's <laughs> concerns very quickly. I had never thought about that because people would look at Sam yeah. And know he has Down yeah, syndrome. Yeah. When he was behaving strangely or, or uninhibitedly, let's say, when mm-hmm. he was behaving, it was it was immediately okay. It was like, yeah, people would just smile, they 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 get it. Mm-hmm. Um and kind of to be expected. Yeah, yeah. Or or acceptable mm-hmm. uh, just rather sweet rather than what's going on here, you know. Why you're isn't a bad this child parent. behaving? Yeah, yeah, yeah. what you're a bad parent. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So yeah. Mm, interesting. So how did you react? when you first found out that your newborn child had Down syndrome? Um, It's hard to remember those very, very early feelings, except that it was a huge shock and none of us had had much experience with anyone, well, not in our immediate families or anything like that, with with any sort of disability. So it was a massive learning curve. But we were very blessed in in as much as this is the biggest crowd out there, the Down Syndrome Association all over you know most western countries and um they made it easy for us they came around you know they offered us um, immediate support and um you quickly realize that you're part of a, a fairly big tribe and yeah you just it took adjustment it was a shock but you're very quickly subsumed in the daily chores of of survival and uh, in sam's case of getting enough food into him because he didn't feed very well so Mm. um, those things just very quickly um, smooth out into a way of getting through and we didn't have the sort of shock that involved um, despair or anger or why me or any of those sorts of feelings we we didn't have any of those I think we just um, trusted that this child, like our other children and like all children, was a gift from God. And if God had chosen to give us this particular child, then that was his prerogative. And it was fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Didn't make it easy, though. <laughs> no, no. But you did eventually kind of get used to your new normal. Yes, yes. And I, I say in the book, there's one point where I I realized in a quite a profound way that I had ceased to grieve for the person that he wasn't. And he had just morphed into 
not not the minus person. He just morphed into himself, like like any other child, and and that's a strange transformation that takes place. And I think it takes place with any any child who's born with any sort of disability or unusual situation because they acquire their own normality in that home and in that family. Um, he ceased to be, as I say, this minus person and he just became Sam mm. and sort of perfect in, in, in his being Sam. <laughs> in his own unique way. Yeah, yes. But then as soon as you kind of started to get used to this new normal, this situation of having a child with Down syndrome, then... Another development came. Something else came along yeah. and crashed into us. Um, yes, he, he was diagnosed when he was two, close to three, with ALL, which is acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And for the rest of Samuel's life, that probably became a bigger feature than the trisomy 21 because that really is something you can't avoid or get around or deny or pretend you you know you're going to die. You're going to mm. have horrible treatment, or you're going to die, or both. Um, in our case, uh, so you you know that's cancer is much more in your face than Down syndrome. Put it that way. <laughs> hmm. So at that point, it would be understandable if you started to question God. Why me? Why is this happening to us? Yes, I, I wish I could remember more about how I felt. All I can say for certain is that I didn't ever feel like that, and I've never felt like that in life because the the way I was brought up, my mother was always very conscious of our blessings and uh, good fortune to be, you know, born in countries where we would never go without and and had opportunities and so on. And and I I always had a strong awareness of. The fact that we were actually in a minority globally, we, we were always in a minority in the fact that we would have food and clothing and shelter. I didn't have an expectation that everything should be perfect and I should never have any, uh, or we should never uh, have any unexpected adversities, I guess. But not that not that you're thinking in this sort of rational way. It was just that was the, the subconscious position that, that I had. And so... Why, if you could say, why me, when you ha uh, your child has cancer, well, you could equally say, why not me? Because I would think, well, why not? You know, why why should it always be someone else? Some mm. Eventually that someone else is me. Um, mm. But I should also say, of course, that that's hugely impacted by my faith, and the faith is very much a part of that. You know, this is God's world. God um, gives life, and he takes life, and his timing is perfect, and he does as he chooses, and he does as he pleases, and he, he doesn't owe me an explanation for mm. every little thing. That's a very, very, uh, I feel that very strongly. God doesn't owe me an explanation. One day, there are many things that we will understand that we don't understand now, but I don't feel that I need to have, um, there needs to be a justification for why my child should suffer from cancer and why my child should die. Mm. So expect adversities in life. Yes, well, um, you're living in dreamland if you don't, I think. <laughs> you're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Morag Swartz, who's written a book about her son called Being Sam. As we've been hearing, Sam was born with Down syndrome in 1994, and then a few years later was diagnosed with leukaemia. We'll hear more of Sam's story and more of Morag's experiences 
when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Morag Swartz, who's written a book about her son called Being Sam. As we heard before the break, Sam was born with Down syndrome in 1994, and then a few years later was diagnosed with leukaemia. Next, Morag will share what it was like after Sam was diagnosed with cancer. Um, we started on a the what was the current treatment protocol at that time in 96 um, which was between two and three years of chemotherapy and it was pretty hideous Um, and somehow we got through that period and life resumed a sort of normality and Samuel became really well and bouncy and cheerful and and full of life and and then um, out of nowhere he relapsed and that Mm. was a huge shock in fact it was almost worse than the the initial diagnosis I think and so we had more treatment another couple of years of treatment of chemotherapy and again life resumed um, some sort of normality and Sam went you know was bouncing around again and suddenly another um, diagnosis crashed into us and I have to say at this point it's extremely unusual that this should happen because um Acute lymphoblastic leukemia is the most common childhood cancer and a very high 90% of children have a round of chemotherapy and recover and that's the end. Goodbye cancer. So you thought he was going to have a full recovery? Well, he, he did, except that he then <laughs> he then relapsed and that's where it's very unusual. Oh, that's um, got to be very hard emotionally because you think yeah, you're past this, it's done, yes. it's over with. Yeah, I, I, I say. I think I say in the book that um, one round of chemotherapy is like, well, okay, well, that's not good. But uh, the second round was like, whoa, this is more challenging. Um, and then the third and the fourth and the fifth. So by this stage, we were like freakishly unusual. Um, his oncologist at Monash Medical Centre said that Samuel was his longest standing patient. And um, it's certainly extremely rare for a child to have this sort of constant relapsing experience with cancer and ultimately towards the end of that 15 years of treatment relapse treatment relapse Samuel's cancer appeared in additionally to the bone marrow which is where leukemia it's a bone marrow cancer Mm -hmm. then it appeared also in his spinal fluid and that's now getting pretty serious so now we are fighting the cancer on two fronts and at that point for the first time his oncologist started talking about radiation therapy and there are some children who have radiation therapy if their leukemia is a a particular kind but we hadn't had that and I'd always felt that that was just like completely and utterly the worst thing imaginable and we would never ever and never ever contemplate that but towards the end of Samuel's life we did have radiation for the spine and the cerebral fluid so the brain and the spine. I'm just wondering what was Sam's attitude? How was he taking all this? Well, here's one of the wonderful things about Samuel and an, an enormous, incalculable blessing. And that was that because of his mental capacity was less than a normal person, um, he 
had no sense of impending treatment. He didn't know the word dread. Um, he didn't anticipate. And so he was wonderfully, wonderfully spared those things that you and I would be experiencing mm. if we were going through um, this. I mean, I would be dreading for days what yeah. a certain thing and I would be just horrified at watching some of the stuff, watching the infusions of ghastly-looking stuff going into his veins and uh, so much stuff like that that um, he was spared. He, he, mm. he was spared. He, was, yeah. he lived utterly, utterly, utterly in the moment and I, f I thought this was a wonderful kind of lesson always to me I sought to be like him I sought to live in the moment like he did and yeah I, I saw him as a great leader in that regard and, and I, I, sought to, <laughs> I sought to follow him um, and to have his take on life and only, only sort of carry on and get upset and distressed the moment when we were walking in the treatment room or the moment when mm. he was about to go under um, in, in theatre under anaesthetic so so you know in that moment he would react but until that moment he was mm. he was wonderfully um, in his own zone yeah wow and then unfortunately his short life came to an end yes um, what seems in retrospect what seems always to have been inevitable did actually happen and yet the strange thing about Sam's life was that because his habit became to bounce back and his wonderful oncologist always seemed to have another cocktail that would keep him going, it became harder, ironically, it became harder to believe that Samuel would die than it became hmm. easier. Um, and yet, as I say, <laughs> there's such a paradox here, it was more likely each relapse and yet it felt less likely because his habit is to keep coming back. Hmm. So there was a strange dynamic towards the end those last months and but um when the cancer came in the spinal fluid as the C cns disease that's called as well as in the bone marrow we we're like whoa how long can we keep this right up for and i was always terrified i th i was convinced i would lose my mind if and when samuel actually died i, I just didn't couldn't fathom what this would involve and and how how one would live through this and I was terrified because not that many years ago, children, well, people bled to death from leukemia, not mm. that many decades ago. And so I would say to his oncologist, you know, sort of like seek reassurance about this. And in the end, what happened was that um, Samuel died of septicemia. So he became sicker and his, uh, basically his body was folding, folding up. And mm. um, How old was he? He was 17 and a half and uh, he died at home. And we were all around him. The family was around him, and he um, he became sleepy with with the help of various medications to help him because there was a lot of pain by this stage as well. And so he he faded from us gradually. And in the end, I think probably I couldn't have asked for a more gentle decline and death. Um, but it's still there's still a gulf, an absolute gulf between being even just barely alive mm. and not being alive at all. Yeah. It's, and you, you, you cannot fathom that until you actually are with it in that moment. And it's, it's the biggest thing that you will ever encounter, I think. The, mm. most, the hugest thing you'll ever encounter is to be with someone um, when they die. And um, one of the things that he absolutely loved and that we shared a lot, Samuel and I particularly, was because um, we spent a lot of time in, in my car going to the hospital and coming home and so on. And I had a CD of old hymns which 
had one of which is um, involved the young Samuel, and he would always pick up his name and had absolutely loved that hymn. But he loved all of the hymns, and and I I really do think that they fed him in some way mm. um, these wonderful things about God. And I would talk to him about God, of course, all the time, and um, talk to him about heaven and being with Jesus. And I do think that um, in ways that may not be as obvious to us. He did have a sense of God and His mm-hmm. presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then finally, looking back on all of your experiences, what can we learn from your experiences of being Sam's mother? I think I don't know about. Well, to me, what I I would say that I learned is God is sovereign, and that is the most comforting and wonderful thing. That the, those few words to me became and still are the most wonderful, comforting secure groundwork for life Um, because that means if God is sovereign he is sovereign in every tiny atom particle the smallest thing time and uh, atom you can ever measure and he owns and runs and controls and governs every single thing every you know right down to the Mm -hmm. tiniest thing and that means when you when you really try and get your head around that that means you see in stark contrast your own puniness and in in your ability to understand anything really very mm. much and when and then so you easily give yourself to this wonderful glorious sovereign god who not only is sovereign and runs everything perfectly and beautifully and wonderfully um he's all good and all loving and all all merciful and the combination of that hugeness of his his power and his control and his love the, the hugeness of that um, is something you can just throw yourself into and rest in and, and nestle into and uh, be comforted by. It's like I don't need to know any. I don't need to understand anything that happened in Samuel's life. Um, it was a life of terrible suffering, but also great joy. Mm. But it was one in which God had His purpose. And if I look back over that period, I would say, um, yes, God is sovereign, and He will carry you through whatever He brings in your life. If He brings this thing into your life, whatever the suffering or hardship may be, He will also be there to carry you through it. And the, the, I guess one final point I would say is that I, I feel very um, was a very important discovery for me, and that is to not look forward but to look back. And that sounds funny, really. But yeah, I always thought it look, was the reverse of that. Yes, well, <laughs> see, if you look forward, it's terrifying. That's my experience. It's terrifying. You know, Samuel's going to die. How's he going to die? Which time oh, is it? Which, sense, it's, yeah. it but, but all of us, I feel like that about myself as well. I find the future terrifying. But if I look back... I see, ah, yes, God was holding us. God was carrying mm. us. He got us through that day. He got us through that day. He's got us through every single moment, every single day, every single week, month, year, until now. And so, wow, what am I worrying about tomorrow and the next year and whatever for? Because God has been carrying us and he has brought us. We're living evidence. We're, each one of us is proof that God has carried us thus far. And so that's my inspiration and, and um, the thing that I try and, keep telling myself um, yes because the future is, ter- is is frightening and it's frightening when you've lost a child because you there are days when you don't know how you're going to get through the, the grief and there are days when the, the grief just consumes you but again you say well God has brought me thus far he will take me through today well Morag thank you so much for sharing your story with us today thanks so much for having me Eric 
That was Eric Scatterbo chatting with journalist Morag Swartz, who's written a book about her son called Being Sam. And as we heard at the beginning of today's program, that Morag described the book as a memoir of life and death, rascal chromosomes, rogue cancer cells, and a lot of love in between. And now, after hearing Sam's story, it becomes a bit more clear what she was referring to. Rascal chromosomes being Down syndrome, rogue cancer cells referring to leukaemia. And as we heard Morag shared, there was a lot of love in between. Also, the Lord helped her along a very difficult journey. The verse that comes to mind is from Psalm chapter 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For more information about Morag's book, the website is beingsam.net. That's beingsam.net. Well, thanks for joining us for Sam's Story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. You know, the people who are coming to that family gathering... They're hoping to have a particular kind of day. You know, it may be our parents who are very set in their ways about how they want to have Christmas, and it's nothing like what you would do if you had the choice. And the first tip is to actually prepare. Prepare your heart in prayer. Now, that might sound obvious, but how often have we actually prayed before we've gone to a Christmas event? Bruce Burgess is the National Director of PeaceWise, a ministry that seeks to find Christian solutions to conflicts. Bruce will share the ministry's story and offer some practical advice for avoiding family conflicts during the Christmas season. That's coming up next time. The The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.